Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 185. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate your support. Please make sure you're telling your friends, your family, your coworkers all about this show. Keep this community growing. I appreciate your support. We're continually rising in the iTunes rankings, and I couldn't do it without your support. If you haven't done so, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review, and let let the world know what you think about this show. Again, thank you so much for your support. I want to introduce to you my new partners to the show, 99designs. You know, they've been so great with me and helping me with my design of my business. You know, it's all about selection, speed, and creativity. These are just a few benefits of having several designers work for you and helping you on your project. So if you want to start your next design project, I encourage you to go to 99designs.com slash leadership and get a $99 power pack of services absolutely free. Obed, I'm absolutely thrilled to have Joshua Coburn on the show. He's a youth speaker and author and air quotes, corporate oddity, who has spent his life and career redefining stereotypes, living his passions, and assisting others to dream big, believe big, and succeed big. His latest book, Inspiration on Demand, skyrocketed Coburn to new heights worldwide by motivating and empowering readers to improve daily lives, overcome personal trials, and reach their dreams. Perfect fit for this show. Today, Coburn speaks with students across the nation, taking them on an inspirational and emotional roller coaster ride known as the Manners and Motivation Tour, which I'm curious to find out more about. Joshua, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Well, I love that I said air quotes corporate oddity because I wish this was a, a video podcast, but it's not because if you if you see, Josh, your picture, uh, it it takes, takes you back. I mean, let's just be blunt in front about it. It's like you have tattoos all over your arms, your, your neck, your forehead, and your earrings are crazy. Or is earrings the right word? I mean, these hoops that you got in your earlobes, my God, my friend. You... <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's definitely extreme at first and, and catches people off guard often. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, but yeah, thank you, thank you for addressing the elephant in the room. Essentially, that usually, <laughs> believe it or not, helps. Um, but yeah, you can you can call what's in my ears, whatever the heck you want. Um, they're generally referred to as just very simply stretched earlobes. I guess um, as the kids call them, gauges, which is actually gauges, the unit okay. of measurement wow. um, to to define you know the size of of what's in there. In the case of mine, they're beyond the. The gauge. They're actually two inches, so you can fit a soda can in there to give Man, listeners yeah. an idea of of the size of the stretch in my ears. There, I don't think I've ever seen it that big. You know, I've seen the gauges. You know, my kids are in high school, and I've seen some of the uh, a girl walking down that I thought were just extremely large, and they're not even a fourth of what yours are. And I'm just that's just amazing. How do you get your earlobes to stretch that far? Sure, sure. Well, yeah. Usually, you see uh, what a lot of people think is kind of. I guess trendy things that are, you know, around uh, 10 millimeters or a quarter inch or something like that. Um, but mine are actually representative of, of kind of historical figures, uh, like, like Buddha and things like that, where it mostly represents patience and wisdom because it took me about 10 years to get here. And 
what happens is you just uh, you just stretch it slowly over the course of time. Just uh, think of it along the same lines as is pregnancy. I mean, a woman's uh, uh, belly stretches out sure, over the yeah, course of yeah. nine months. Uh, it's kind of the same here. Skin is pretty flexible as long as you take it very, very slow. So, so that's, kind of, that's kind of the process and what it's all about. Well, At it, least for me, I can't speak for the young lady you had seen at, uh, at the high school right, or, or right. otherwise, but for me, that's that's what it's about. Well, I've got to ask, so well, now you're committed because you've stretched it so far. I mean, if you, if you take that out, I mean, what hap- does your earlobe go back? I know this is kind of off topic, but I'm just out of curiosity. Does it go, would it ever go back or is it stretched forever? Uh, well, in my case, like I, I'll take them out every night when I sleep or, you know, if I'm kind of hanging out at home, I'll wear them because they can be kind of, uh, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but if you're sleeping with something, you I know, the imagine, size yeah. of a small dinner plate on the side of your face, it's, it's not the <laughs> easiest thing to deal with. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if, if I chose to rid myself of these, um, and, and to essentially get them back to quote-unquote normal size, I would have to essentially remove a portion of my lobe and then reattach it to the other part of my ear and stitch the center is how it would work. And, oh and people God. do that. It's, it's something that's, I won't say common, but it does happen. I mean, at this point, I'm in my 30s and, you know, the whole, well, you're going to regret that when you're older stuff is way behind me. Yeah, so, well. You're like I said. I mean, you're, you're in deep now. There's no. There's just absolutely no turning back with what what you've done. Yeah. And I think it's, it's exactly it's, exactly. And you know what? It, it believe it or not, it serves me well. I know you said it was kind of off topic, but I would tend to disagree only yeah, because was, right. usually when I jump in front of a crowd or you know do an interview or anything like that, it's generally the thing people obviously visually see first, but then they're processing kind of like, oh, okay, this isn't going to be the run-of-the-mill speaking engagement or interaction or interview or whatever, which is, it's good for me because it's my goal to not be forgotten and always make an impact. And, and thankfully, my, uh, my appearance does that. Well, it certainly does. And, and I would say, though, that you certainly didn't start out going down this path. I mean, this is a long time um, where you've done this, uh, all these tattoos all over your body, and I and I imagine I'm seeing there's a picture with your shirt. It's all over your back. It's everywhere. What started? I mean, obviously you didn't start the saying, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to be a motivational speaker. Therefore, I'm going to, you know, get my whole body tattooed and and have my earlobe stretch out like that." That wasn't the motivating factor, was it? Why Why did um, you start doing this? I guess. You know, it's it's it, that's very interesting the the way you're putting it together, and and I appreciate that actually. Because uh, I don't think I've I've really discussed kind of that avenue before, but truly I had two kind of passions when I was young, very young. Uh, I'm talking like first grade, and I saw like a National Geographic, and I saw tattooed individuals, and I thought that was very interesting, as well as other body modifications, stretched ears, um, scarification, and cuttings, and stuff like that that causes you know, the raised lumps on chest, back, faces right, yep. like you see in, mm-hmm. in other countries. And I loved how individual that was. I never felt kind of the same, even that young. And as I grew, I started to turn toward music and stuff like that. And when I started seeing musicians in, you know, the late 80s getting heavily tattooed, it resonated with me heavily that they were different and they were willing to kind of step out of their shell and, and, you know, step on stage with kind of this, this armor. And, uh, I guess for me, it was a matter of essentially 
making my skin comfortable for myself because I wasn't right. comfortable in it. And later, many years later, I didn't equate kind of the, the motivational speaking and writing and, and kind of being a mentor to people with that specifically. Um, it just happened to be two passions that collided at some point. Yeah. And honestly, up until this past year, I hadn't embraced them as kind of the same thing. I always did my best to kind of be like, hey, yeah, I know I look like this, but I'm not what you think I am, yeah. you know, is, is kind of how I addressed it. Yeah. But at this point, I address it much different. You know, hey, I look like this, and I'm not what you think I am, but I'm going to take the opportunity to show you what I actually am and, and use it as a catalyst. And I'll tell you what, it's changed absolutely everything. So well, I, I don't know if I specifically no, answered you, you your did. question, and but I, I can love... tell you that around 15 is when kind of they crashed together. And I started to realize, you know, they, they can go hand in hand, but I didn't exactly embrace it until many years later. No, oh, I love that answer. I love your answer because, um, and it goes back to, again, this is me being extremely curious. And let's break mm -hmm. down. Let's break down some stereotypes because obviously that's what you, what you're doing when when this you, you make this significant impact. You come out on stage, you get people to know you. It, it, I mean, we can do a laundry list of some of the stereotypes of what people are going to think when they see you. But going even mm -hmm. before we even get to that, let's break down some stereotypes of again why why the extreme body body modification. I think a guy like myself, if if I see someone like that and I have in the past, I think, okay, this body modification is coming from one of two places. It's coming from a place of pain or it's coming from a place of wanting attention. Tell me I'm wrong on that or am I wrong on that? And, and educate me on where, not just yourself, but where, where someone takes body modification to this extreme, what is the driving factor? Sure, sure. Again, great question. Um, I think you're right in your assessment. Often it is related to, you know, personal pain. I actually just did an article on self-harm and the emotional effects of that, why it happens. People associate tattooing and piercing and other things with self-harm, um, which I suppose if you wanted to define it as that, by definition, it certainly could be called that. Um, and uh, attention seekers, sure. I can also see that. It's, it's crazy because for me, I saw it as two things. I saw it as an opportunity for me to essentially make myself look the way I wanted to look in the mirror, to feel comfortable, like I said, in my skin, similar to maybe the way um, someone who's overweight decides to go into bodybuilding, who enjoys it, and then goes awesome. into bodybuilding yeah. competitions. Still extreme, still a body change but still a confidence builder. Um, and, and neither in those cases necessarily seeking specific attention. Um, the, the other side of this for me and, and what helped me take it further was very simply that I was always told you need to have a backup plan. And I agree with that a thousand percent. You better have things covered based on the decisions you're making. But it was also my goal to eliminate the backup plans that I didn't want in my life. Meaning I didn't want to, you know, have fast food as an option if <laughs> I failed. Right. I wanted 
if, if I failed, I wanted a lesson to be learned, and I wanted to have the option to try again. And if that was my only option, I would eventually succeed. And looking the way I look effectively eliminated my retail career <laughs> at least years ago pretty, pretty quickly and pretty early on. Right. So it's really about those two things for me. That's interesting. You know, I guess to look at it, okay, I I don't want to force myself to this in your I'm speaking for you, paraphrasing what I heard is okay, I don't want to settle for a life of mediocrity and I, I want to push myself further than that I I think I'm capable of. Now, uh this is a way of expressing myself, this is a way of, of this is how I see myself, I want to see myself, and the second part, what I heard, like I said, is like I'm not going to settle for a life of, of mediocrity. Not to put down people who work in, in fast food and retail, but it's just not your gig. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's just not your gig. That's not you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, fast food or, or retail. You know, actually, I would love to go back. I, I kind of fancy uh, some sort of TV show I get to go on where I get to work in fast food joints and, and you know, retail in very public places and, and just kind of, deal with those judgments and catch that on camera, kind of like an undercover boss thing. Yeah, right, right. Uh, I, I think that'd be awful fun someday. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think that leveraging kind of the way I look for attention, um, I, I would be honest and say that it happens at this point, but only after I saw the attention it was gathering when I started traveling, you know, for, for business and leisure, when I started hitting airports and stuff. And people I'd never seen would stop me and be like, hey, oh my gosh, that's insane. Your tattoos, your gears, the implants in your hands, what's this about? Why do you do it? And when I realized I couldn't go, you know, 50 foot without somebody else stopping me, I thought, you know, hey, I can, I can use this because I can, you know, someone's approaching me and I can glean knowledge off these individuals and they can do the same for me, right? you know, because they're traveling for a reason. They can ask all they want about tattoos and stuff, but then I get to say, so, sir or ma'am, what are you traveling for? And they say business, and they say finance, and they say, you know, for, you know, X Games, for all these other things. And I say, tell me more. And then I gain that. And that is a massive opportunity for me. So, you know, there's a lot of kind of different factors for me, I think, than a lot of others when it comes to the way I look and how I use that and how it's used. Well, it's like, it's kind of the, the cliche is like using your powers for good, not evil, right? <laughs> I mean, and this is really what it boils uh, down yeah. to. And you could sit there and you could say, oh, look at him. Isn't that ridiculous? Uh, he's just trying to gain attention. Well, okay. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's break it down. Yeah. I want, I want the attention, but what are you going to do with that attention once you get it? And what I heard from you is like, or like I said, you're losing it for good, not for evil. And you know, you're breaking down mm -hmm. stereotypes and you're getting the message across. And again, I, I'm kind of, I haven't seen your message, but I'm, I'm my prep, uh, my assumption is, is when you're talking to youth in particular, isn't that, is that your central core theme that you're trying to say, Hey, look, you know, there's always more, uh, than what's on the surface. Absolutely. Um, you know, when I'm out on, on the Manners and Motivation Tour and I hit kind of, you know, the floor or the stage, that's precisely it. Because I look different enough. I, you know, I'm not in a suit and tie. I'm not standing behind a podium. You know, there's loud music. I run out there. I grab the mic. Those kids are screaming and yelling and getting primal and crazy. <laughs> and that's what I want. Because as soon as they settle down and they're like, oh, my gosh, this is insane. I can't believe we're doing this in school. 
I don't, uh, I, I'm, I'm a pretty extreme guy, believe it or not. <laughs> um, but, uh, as much as I'm conservative, but once they sit down, I kind of take them right over the cliff right away. And I dive right in because one of the first things I say is that, um, we're going to kind of dismantle the walls brick by brick. And I start with me and I, I tell them, you know, my deepest, darkest secrets, my, my worst absolute times, because then they're like, okay, this guy is real and their guard starts coming down and it's a conversation. So that's how I use that. I mean, we discuss all the time that I don't care if you're a, you know, the prom queen or a jock or the class clown or, you know, shooting for, for valedictorian, whatever it is you're carrying a lot of weight and a lot of pressure, whether it's self-inflicted or not. Maybe you're overweight. Maybe your parents are poor and you don't have the best clothing. That's a lot of heavy stuff. And I think what we forget, especially kids forget, is that a lot of times we're all suffering the same things. We're exactly the same. Yes. We're just, you know, we're just putting it out to the world differently. I mean, a kid's parents get divorced. They're suffering and they're lashing out and they're bullying other kids. But at the same time, that kid who's being bullied by this individual, their parents may be alcoholics getting divorces and he retreats and he, you know, kind of keeps to himself when really if they communicate, their pain would connect and they could grow together. So breaking down those barriers is pretty huge when I'm speaking to students. And uh, honestly, the first step is kind of making them aware that it's going to be different and my life is on my skin and I'm going to tell them about it. So, so I guess that was my long winded response to that, that, yeah, I mean, it does start oftentimes with, with appearance, but there's a lot more to it. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I love, I love everything you just said. And and I think it's, it's always amazing to me. And the more the interviews that I've done and the more that of course, as a uh, re- reflection on, on all of our lives and all the trials and adversities that we've all gone through and we all have some story. It's amazing to me that all the problems that we seem to be faced with, um, really stems and goes at the root of it is some level of insecurity of, of, of limiting, uh, belief, self doubt, negative talk. I mean, even the most successful of us all. I mean, the things that we say to ourselves is just phenomenal. And I, and I think what I'm hearing, what I sense from you is that look, um, and I think that's why you tell your story, your pains, what your darkest moments, because everybody has them, right? Absolutely. If, if, you know, if, if I want to get, you know, a message of respect across to a bunch of kids that are already annoyed that, they're not going about their normal day. They got to have something to connect to. And it's got to be different and real and authentic. If not, of all crowds, kids are going to eat you alive. And uh, I learned that very early on. And, and that's it. I mean, we've all been there. We all have our thing. You know, for me, it was, uh, you know, alcoholism in my family. It was divorce. It was, you know, being agoraphobic, not being able to leave my own apartment. And, you know, for someone else, it could be something completely different. Right. But still those feelings of being at the bottom, being, you know, insecure, like you said, having despair and not knowing what's next or where to go. And But once you kind of flip that switch, it starts to click and you start to grow and you start to climb those mountains one step at a time. And, and once you can get that across, you really see the light bulbs go on. And I think that's very important to, to kind of get out there if you can. 
Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole idea of authenticity. I mean, you you are such an authentic individual. I mean, from just from talking with you and seeing and knowing what you're doing. I mean, I, I sense that that's what drives you. You know, nothing really does seem real anymore. And I think um, the more that we can get, especially kids, to understand it's all about being authentic and vulnerable, then there's great strength and uh, the world really becomes your oyster if you can get comfortable with that, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, man, I think I think you said it. I think you said it better than I could say it. It, it really is the truth. It's If you can lay on the table every single piece of you and let people take from it what they will and apply it as they wish, what you can get back from them is pretty amazing. I talk a lot about how it is that you kind of get to where you want to be in life, how you climb that mountain. And I'm a firm believer that you have to have the quote-unquote village, or as I refer to it often, is as an army behind you to carry you, to push you up. So when you're slipping down the mountain, when you're sliding, you need somebody there, whether it's friends or family or a mentor, to pull you up, to push you up and, and help you. And the only way to earn that, to gain that, is to give because you're not going to create an army of people that you haven't helped or given to or given a piece of you because they have nothing to gain. As, as much as it's as crazy as it might seem is, Often people look at things very much from a, a selfish point of view. But once you can give them all you can give, and they start realizing, wow, if I give, I get back more? The answer is yes. And then you get more people doing that. And then before you know it, you have a, an army of people. I don't know if you're familiar with the book The Go-Giver, yes, but it's one of my favorites. It's yeah, absolutely great. real. Worth checking out. Hey, halfway through the show, I want to take some time out. To talk about my partners, 99designs, you know, branding is a huge deal. I've learned a lot about it over the last 20 months, and we talk about branding a lot when you're in the business community and the entrepreneurship game. It's a term that gets thrown around by all types of people, and you may be wondering, hey, what is the big deal all about? What is branding anyway? In a nutshell, your brand is the set of perceptions people have about your company. It's an emotional expression of your value that your audience creates. If you want to become a leader in your space, design is key in communicating your brand. And when customers have seemingly endless choices in this noisy world, design becomes crucial in helping you stand out and giving you that competitive edge. But what options are available to people like us who are bootstrapping it with little little to spend on design? Many have turned to online marketplaces like 99designs like I have to help build their brand on a budget. You get maximum creativity with 99designs contest model where they get dozens of designers to compete to deliver you your best design. You get to be involved in the process too and walk away with a logo, a website, or other design that truly represents who you are and your brand. I've used 99designs and I love what they did for me. Visit 99designs.com slash leadership and get a $99 power pack of services absolutely free today. You know, that whole kind of giver's gain mentality isn't new either. I mean, this isn't something, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those topics that I kind of like, wow, why did it take me so late in life to kind of figure that out? You know, the more that you give, you know, it's, it's a classic, you know, it's, it's better to give than receive. But I mean, you do get it back exponentially, the more that you can unselfishly give. Um, and it seems it's counterintuitive to our, to our selfish sense, I think. But um, yeah, the more that you can just emanate from a place of service the the you get back more than you ever even thought you could you could uh, 
initially get. It's certainly a lot more you're going to get if you're you're taking your actions because what's in it for me, as opposed to, you know, how can I how yeah. can, how can I add value to your life, as opposed to what's in it for me. I don't think mm-hmm. it's in. You know, I think it's. It, I think that's an intentionality that you have to do. I mean, you have to kind of. At least it was for me anyway. I had to train my mind to, to be intentional about that because my natural state is a selfish state. I think, as I think most human beings yeah. are. Yeah, I think I think it's very natural. And like you said, this is something that this is a lesson that's as old as time. And and let's go back to that quickly. I mean, if you think to the most primal times when you're hunter gatherer and you are out, you know, gathering food, and you get, you know, there's there's five of you, and you get you gather five berries and that's all you got today because it is unsuccessful and you can either eat them while you're kind of essentially away from the homestead and no one <laughs> right. will know or you can bring them back and you can give one to four other people and eat one yourself but those four people are also hunting for you and then you think about you're getting four times as much back right in the long run yeah. and it really is that simple and it took me breaking it down to that level to get it but it takes work. I still have to remind myself, like you said, very yeah. intentional. And, and I screw up sometimes, you know, sure. I, I, you know, I, I just kind of get out of that loop and then I have to remind myself, Hey, that, that wasn't the right thing. You know, get back into it. I'm not perfect. You know, so I'm with you. I think it's, I think it's very straightforward. I think it's a lesson we often ignore, but I think it's very intentional. I think you have to will yourself to do it at least at first. Yeah, I agree. So what is, are you concrete? Are you so clear about your purpose? I mean, why are you put on this planet? Um, you know, it's, it's crazy. I don't know what it is or why it is, but I knew very early on. I, I remember telling my, my school administrators when they asked what I wanted to be when I got out of school. I said, I want to get paid to be me. Mm-hmm. And, and they kind of laughed and said, well, that's not a, a thing. Like, that's not a vocation. And they're right, it isn't, because what I do sure isn't work. It's awesome. Um, but that's essentially what I do. I get paid to be me. I get to write. I get to speak to people. I get to connect to people. I get to talk to, you know, hundreds and thousands of people and, and influence them and let them change me and grow every day. And, you know, my, my purpose, I guess, was really to connect. Like you said, I, I'm a very raw individual. There's nothing you can drag out of a closet somewhere. There's no bones or skeletons you're going to get so you can have leverage on me. It's just real. It's out there. And I didn't realize, I guess, how hard that was for a lot of other people because it always came very natural to me. And I'm not sure why it is, but once I realized that I could do that and I was comfortable with that, because I guess I saw the connection I would get from other people, the honesty that I think I've known you forever moment uh, from other people just really started to drive me more and more toward getting out there and just doing it. And trust me, I was scared to death. You know, I still get nervous before I go on stage. I mean, who wants to go out in front of, you know, 2,000 people and tell them that you were so bad off at one point mentally that you couldn't even leave your own apartment to get milk for your fruity pebbles. I mean, that's crazy. That is crazy, especially if you had that phobia. And you said, I mean, you've overcome, you know, we talk about fear and uncertainty a lot. And I mean, if you're a regular listener, that it's almost like a broken record how much we talk about fear and uncertainty, but it is so prevalent. I mean, and life begins on the edge of that comfort zone anyway, right? And, and it doesn't have to be extreme sports 
like when people hear that, oh, you got to live outside your comfort zone. But just like in your example, like you said, you didn't even want to leave your apartment in overcoming that fear. And what's what's courageous for you is benign for me and vice versa, right? And so it's it's a highly, right. highly personal decision what, what, what is courageous for you. But if you work through that courage and you're, you're a living example of that, um, you're going to be afraid regardless, so get used to it and you work through it. Something great's going to happen on the, on the other side, and you're a living testament of that. Yeah, thank you. It's, that's nice to hear said out loud. I appreciate that. But I would certainly agree. I mean, I travel to new cities. I don't know where I'm going. I've never been there. I, you know, you do your best to navigate, and then you, you compound that with a foreign country, and you don't know the language now. So there's one strike against you. Right. But if you navigate that, you get to see what the world offers. You get to see true beauty in, in nature and, and what's around you. And that applies to everyday life too. If you're not willing to get out of your apartment, you're never going to connect. If you're not willing to connect with people where you have without one another, it's really hard for me to say that I have much because I thrive on that connection. And, and I think most of us do. What do you think? Obviously you're facing with, with youth. Um, two, two questions. Why kids right now if it's always been why, why are you so passionate about connecting with youth and then uh, well for answer that question first why the youth um honestly i i run into a lot of adults who tell me man i wish i could do what you do and or i wish i could find my passion i wish i knew my purpose and uh, firstly i say well it's not too late to to start heading down that road it's never too late but secondly you know, I'm like, what's your reason for not starting that earlier? And usually it's, well, I didn't know it was an option. Yeah. And that hit me. Like, I didn't think of it as anything but an option. It was my only option. And I don't know, you know, what the reason for that was. I guess it was just my calling, and it was very deep, and I, I went for it. But um, when I heard that a few times, it made me realize, you know, the future really is in the hand of, hands of our youth. And their future is in their hands. But if you don't have all the information to move forward, you're, you're not going to maybe move forward in a way uh, that, that's maybe best for you. Not, I'm not saying I have you know, the best advice all the time, but what I do have is a method of getting across that you know, that's an option, to be who you want to be, to take life by the horns and go for it. And... If, you know, you don't have to go to college, you don't have to, you know, start a specific vocation. If you choose to, you know, go hike all of Europe for six months, who says you can't do that? If that's the goal, there are ways to get there. And I think that's often overlooked, that you can literally do anything you want as long as you want it bad enough. And I think that's why I start with youth, because... I, you know, if you want to be a doctor, I want you to go be the greatest doctor this world has ever seen. But if you don't want to do that at all, and you want to start a nonprofit, I want you to have the best nonprofit you've ever seen in the world. You know, that's that's really what it's about. And, and kids today are so distracted with social media and you know that kind of interaction that I think often it's like, well, what, what can I do? What's convenient? What's easy? Great things don't come easy, but if you don't even know that it's an option, you'll never search for it. Yeah. I mean, I wish you're right. I mean, in so so many 
uh, I think all of us can say that. I know I can even say this. You do things, I think, because you feel like this is what you think you're supposed to do. I mean, that, that really is an epidemic when you think about it. Most people get to where they're, I mean, all of us are, all of us are at where we're at because of our own personal decisions and choices. And we're here, we're here exactly because of what we decided to do. You know, we can, yeah, certain things we can't control have happened, but it happens to everybody. But for the most part, we're here because of what we chose. And I think a lot of times you go on autopilot once you graduate high school. Because you think you're exposed to do this. I got to do this to make my parents happy. I got to do this because I'm expected to go to college and get a job. And how many people are in college right now? They're just doing it because that's what they're expected to do. But they're living these kind of mediocre. And again, nothing against college. I want people to, like you said, do what they do. But how many people are actually stuck in this kind of mediocre cycle because they're doing what they thought they were supposed to be doing instead of what they really want to be doing? Indeed. Yeah, and that's the way I see it. I think a lot of people forget that, you know, if you like fashion and you have a passion for pets and you have a creative entrepreneurial spirit, there is no reason that you can't start making fashionable pet accessories and start selling on the Internet or create a small retail business. I mean, that's absolutely possible. Those are three great things that people have inside them. I mean, it could be anything, but... You know, you can go after that. If there's not a market for what you want to do, go do it. I mean, there's no reason not to. And, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's it's a matter of, okay, you know, I get out of school, I go to college, I get a good job, I you know, I get good retirement set up, I have a family, I get a dog, I have a white picket fence, and that's life. You know, that's, that's the American way. But I think we forget that there's also the American dream, and that is the American way. Oh, I love the difference. I love the distinction because you're absolutely right. And I think, if anything, and what I love what you're doing is is you're telling the kids to dream big because it doesn't cost. I mean, you can. I was, I was right before I started the conversation with you. I was talking with uh, another uh, entrepreneur that I'm going to do an interview with, and we were talking, and we 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 said that exact thing. Is like, look, you can fail. And how he how did he put it? He says you can fail just as easy at the mediocre sure thing, and I'm saying sure thing in air quotes, just as well as you can on that impossible dream. So his idea is why didn't you go for the impossible dream? Because nothing's guaranteed. I mean, everybody thinks, well, I'm going to go ahead and get a job. I'm going to be a CPA. I'm going to get up at the firm. I'll be a partner in 10 years. None of that's guaranteed. And so why not dream big instead of look for the security? I don't know. It's easy to, it's easy to say because the fear is very overriding. And I think in our gut, we know that the fear is what prevents us from going forward. But I guess if there's anything, and you, to me, you kind of exemplify that as like, it's it's about getting comfortable with the fear and the uncertainty, knowing that it never goes away. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I think I think that's absolutely well said. And usually, if, especially if I'm doing like smaller speaking events, like in a bookstore or something, I'll ask, you know, what is preventing you from living your dream? The answer is always fear. So you're, you're definitely right on. What do you think? The other part of the question I was going to ask was, is what do you think the biggest challenge facing the youth of today are, as opposed to, you know, when I was 30 years ago, where you were 20 years ago? Um, uh, I'll say that the, the biggest challenge hasn't changed because it's ourselves. But... Oh, I love it. Yep. I will say that the biggest thing that wasn't kind of present, I think, for us 
that is now, and and it has caused issues for me actually, um, is is being distracted. Is the fact that you know everywhere you go, there's always the shiny thing, and if you're not anywhere, there's still a shiny thing because it's in your hand. You can connect with. You know, you can read anything, you can see anything, you can view anything, you can hear anything, you can watch anything on your phone now. And, you know, how often is it that you're sitting writing an article and you think, oh, you know what, i got to check that reference real quick. So you jump on the Internet, you check it real quick, and you go back to your work. But maybe 45 minutes goes by because you just got on Facebook, you jumped on Instagram, you, you checked your Tumblr account, and you got in five different conversations, and then you realize, oh, man, i got to finish that. That should have been done 45 minutes prior. So I think it's a matter of just staying focused. It's as simple as that because once you're comfortable with that fear and you're driven and you're ready to achieve it, you better put a timeline on it because you have to get there. And if you start getting close to that timeline, I'll bet you start putting your phone down and start picking up whatever job you need to get done. Yeah, chasing shiny objects, you're absolutely right. I think it is a challenge. A definite challenge we didn't have yeah. 30 years ago, 20 years ago. As we wrap up here, last kind of fun question is like, okay, if you could have a dream, you know, evening with, with a, a dinner with five to seven of, of anybody, alive or dead, and you had this one opportunity to, to, to anybody you wanted to have over for dinner, who would they be? Boy, alive or dead, uh, five to seven people that I could have uh, just a roundtable conversation with. Yep. Best dinner, um, best, you know, whatever. Just the most fabulous dinner and conversation. Who would it be? You know, I I think that, uh, and this, I guess this is a good question because you're going to see both sides of, of me and, and how I think and who I am. Um, I would probably sit down with Richard Branson because mm-hmm. you want to talk about a man who has no limits right. and then goes to get it. Um, uh, and, and for those of you not aware, he's uh, the founder of, Virgin, Virgin Galactic at this point, uh, and everything else that Virgin is. Um, I would sit down also with Henry Rollins because he has that punk, do-it-yourself, old-school, hardcore ethic that I can identify with. Um, I would sit down with um, probably, uh, oddly enough, Gene Simmons of of Kiss because he's ruthless and I can't stand his attitude. party's getting interesting yeah right um yeah i feel like we might have a, a class with uh you know the conservatism of of uh, some individuals at the table versus <laughs> the liberalism of others um and uh let's see what do we have for yeah. um gosh you know I, I i would have to jump in with with um steve jobs very simply because regardless of what he did for his company Everything got simpler, and I want to know how that applied to his life. Yeah. Because I mean, if you think of, you know, a phone that has one button, when you know we think of of life, you know, in the fifties and sixties and seventies, you'd always go back to that quote unquote simpler time, and they made more complicated technology with simpler functionality. Yeah, you're right. And uh, that that's mind blowing to me. So. You know, if I'm going to say, I'm going to stick with those five, and I might invite my dad to dinner as well because he's one of the hardest working, 
guys that I've ever met, and I would like to see him marvel at what's going on, and I would love to hear the questions he asks. <laughs> Man, that's a great list, Joshua. I love that list. I love the, the, the variations, and I love the Steve Jobs, the, the why behind the Steve Jobs. Not It's a little different than what a lot of people, I think, would say or why they'd want him around. So I love those insights. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with me. That's Thank you. great. Gene, that would be fun. Gene Simmons, I, Henry Rollins. In fact, that was funny. I was watching him on a show the other day, and I'm like, God, it'd be fun to to hang out with him and listen because he's. I know he's got some really crazy stories, and he's, he's you know he, very intelligent too. You can start. tell. You can tell he's just yeah. got. Uh, he's got some horsepower up there. That's just and a lot of energy. You know. Exactly, and you know, really, he was a big inspiration for me to kind of step out on stage and, and speak. And I'll tell you, I spent a little bit of time with him uh, in Chicago several years ago. And I'll tell you, it's, it's insane because he's super articulate and straightforward and intelligent as all get out. But conversationally, is it's a struggle. And I found that very interesting. That is interesting. So, I wonder why. Yeah. Uh, his, I guess his mention to me at that time, and I don't know if it was, you know, honesty or complete crap, it could have been a little of both, but he basically said that, you know, he has a hard time with people and he's never comfortable kind of being close and exposing the raw nerve in that way. And I thought that was a really interesting way of saying it. So, wow. Well, guys, Joshua, I love what you're doing, man. I mean, you're just, I, I feel extremely fortunate and blessed to have met you, to have you come on this show. I could sit there and talk to you for hours. I'd love to meet you someday. And um, gosh, anything I can do to help you and your mission, you always have a welcome home here at Dose of Leadership. Tell everybody how they can find you and get in touch with you. Well, thank you for all, for all the time back at you. I appreciate it so much. Um, you can find all of my information at joshuacogren.com. Um, or if you want to know more about the manners and motivation tour specifically of uh, high schools and colleges, or if you want to get a hold of me to speak at your organization or event, uh, you can get a hold of me uh, on joshuacoburn.com or mannersandmotivation.com. So I'm available in both places or every social media channel that's available. I'm probably on, so you can find me there too. Guys, check him out. He's got a, a blog at his website too. I'll have links to all this on the post. Joshua, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. I appreciate it so much. All right, we'll talk to you. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.